Hello and welcome to Jaw Law. I'm your host, Joe McGregor, and today we finally have a guest on the podcast. And that guest is Tyler Hawks. Tyler is an attorney in our office. He is a what I would call an expert when it comes to real estate. He is a healthcare attorney and he handles most of our real estate purchases and he does other things in real estate. But Tyler is a component to his expertise in real estate, also has a title company. And today we're going to have kind of a niche conversation about title policies, what they are, what they mean, everything you could ever want to know about a title policy. Tyler, how are you doing? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on, Joe. All right. Well, Tyler, I gave you an introduction, but what did I leave off? <laughs> well, you know, there's so much more to me than just title insurance. So, but but to keep things on topic and not to get uh, too far afield, uh, uh, you know, I have had an interest in real estate my whole life. That's kind of what got me into interested in going to law school, actually. And I still am pretty involved on the side in real estate investing, you know, real estate development, those types of projects. In addition to, like you say, helping helping our clients here at the firm navigate those waters. You know, it's really interesting. I get a lot of questions from medical practitioners of all stripes, uh, especially like, like you know, we, we work with a lot of dentists that are buying buildings and, and lots of times they just have really good questions and they, and they don't really know where to go. And, and obviously, you know, these professional schools lots of times don't answer their questions. And so that's hopefully we can give them some of those answers and this podcast hopefully can shed some light on some common questions that we get. So, yeah. And as a bit of history, and I can't remember if I told you this or not, but uh, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have a title policy conversation is, is honestly, maybe you would disagree, but most attorneys, even the ones who specialize in real estate, most attorneys don't have a deep knowledge of title policy insurance. I used to work at a firm that did, well, I mean, it's a whole division dedicated to real estate. My boss worked in that division and I had to work with a paralegal and she was specifically recruited because she uh, had 20 or 30 years in doing title policies. And so she was brought in for that specific knowledge and even very veteran attorneys, real estate attorneys would rely on her for advice. And so I think it's pretty common, like I said, maybe you disagree, but pretty common that even experienced attorneys have questions about this. So dentists should not feel ashamed if they don't have any idea what's going on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and it really is a niche area because first start getting into understanding how title insurance works. Kind of the first thing they tell you is traditional insurance, casualty insurance products, you have a situation where for example, if your house burns down, the insur- homeowner's insurance is going to pay to have your house repaired or rebuilt. Title insurance is a little bit different. It's a risk avoidance policy. And what that mm-hmm. really means is that if everyone's doing their job correctly, there should never be a claim. Yep. And knock on wood, I've never had a yeah. claim in, in the time I've been doing it. Like I said, I, I'm sure it's inevitable. Sometimes yep. people make mistakes and that's why you have a title insurance policy. Yeah. But what I kind of view the policy as, and we'll probably get into this, is especially when you're working with the company, it gives you a framework to understand a little bit better what it is you're buying. It helps you understand if there are any risks underlying what you're buying from a title standpoint. And also you can then rest assured that if things are being done properly, that that risk is being taken on by the title company and you don't have to take it on as an owner of the property. So, Yeah. Let's take that like one step deeper and go like, right to ground zero with title policies and like what is 
a title policy. Pretend I'm an idiot, which perhaps under your breath sometimes you say. Not um, at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I have no idea. This is the first time I'm ever hearing of a title policy because it's the first time I've ever bought uh, real estate. What is title policy insurance? Yeah, that's a great question. So when you go to buy real estate, let's say you're going to buy a piece of, let's just keep it really simple. You're going to buy a, a piece of land for a million dollars, let's say, and you're just buying it from the seller. What you want as a buyer is you're going to say, okay, I'm going to be giving the seller a million dollars. How do I know that I'm actually going to own the land when the dust settles, right? And that's, uh, for lack of a better word, how, how will I know that that's the case? And if it turns out that something was done wrong, then what do I do? And that's kind of where title insurance steps in is it steps in that gap to say, hey, we are a licensed third party that is underwritten by other insurance companies and insurance underwriters that will make sure that everything's done properly. And in the event that something is done improperly, we'll stand behind it. You can file a claim up to the amount that you've invested in the land for, you know, for one way of putting it. So. so just to make sure I understand, you're saying the third party company, they're the ones that are issuing this insurance. That's correct. So their tail is on the line. Their tail is on the line, as would be their underwriter, which is a fancy way for saying another third party that would step in to make sure that everything is done properly so that if you work with Southwestern Title and whatever, Texas or wherever it is, if they go out of business, it doesn't matter because there's another underwriter who's still stepping in and making sure that everything is going to be done. So even 10 years from now, if you discover some sort of a title defect, and we can talk about what title defects are, but if you discover something down the road that's covered under that policy, you can still file a claim and, and get relief and, and get compensation if something was done mm -hmm. improperly. Yeah. Okay. So in your experience, how often do people, do these transactions have title insurance? Um, I would say every transaction has some form of title insurance. I mean, that's probably not really accurate, but anytime you're putting any amount of money in, you really want to make sure things are done properly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know there's always stories of, you know, Hey, I met Billy down at the County courthouse and I gave him five grand and we recorded the deed and it's done. There's always things like that. And then there's certainly nothing illegal about that, but anytime on any professional level, you're doing a transaction. Absolutely. You're going to want to make sure your investment's protected. And in addition, if you're financing it anyway, the bank's going to also require that their loan is insured and protected. So that's another layer and another potential policy issue that might come up is the loan. The lender is also going to say, I want to be insured that everything was done right and that I'm in first position. So if you default on the loan, if you don't make payments on the loan, I can foreclose and I'm not going to have some surprise pop up that, oh, it turns out this amount that I loaned out, this security isn't there anymore. Right. Okay. So when we get into the transaction, so what you're saying is that virtually every, especially every commercial transaction is going to have a title policy. Who is buying that? Is the buyer, is the seller, is the bank? How does that work? Typically the industry standard, I would say, and it's negotiable. The first answer is it's negotiable. So there's certainly no legal requirement of which I'm aware in the States that we do a lot of deals that would require, for example, one party to pay or the other party to pay. I believe the standard real estate purchase contract in Texas, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think the default is to have the seller pay for yeah. a title insurance policy for a buyer. Right. And that's the standard in most states where we operate. So the seller is going to be paying out of their proceeds 
for a policy for the buyer, protecting the buyer, insuring the buyer. And then if the buyer is going to be getting a loan, they're going to pay for the title insurance protecting their lender. So if a buyer comes in with cash, they may not have any title costs that may all be passed on to the seller. And that's pretty common in a cash deal. But anytime there's a loan, the buyer is still most likely going to have to pay that cost. All right. So one of the questions that we get, I'm sure you get this a lot, but since, yeah, you're right. In my experience, the sellers typically pay, but it begets a question from the buyers. They're like, well, if the seller's paying, does that mean I'm getting the same insurance? Like, is there an incentive since they're hiring the title company and and so therefore the client is the seller? Is there any risk that I'm not getting as good of a title policy? There is some risk of that. My understanding, again, is in Texas, and I think in most states, the type of policy you're getting is usually specified by the contract. There is a title organization, a national title organization called the American Land Title Association, also known as ALTA. And ALTA policies are a set of standard policies that are accepted nationwide. And there's a general standard there of what things are being covered, what things aren't being covered, for example. And so that is the type of thing that it's certainly wise to be concerned about that. If you're using a standard contract and you have a real estate agent representing you and the agent's really good and they're helping you through the due diligence process and all that, that's going to kind of add a layer of protection there. But that is certainly something you want to look at. And and as part of that, kind of as a segue, one of the things you get when you sign a real estate purchase contract and the title company delivers to you what's called a commitment for title insurance. That Mm -hmm. is a contract, a proposed contract between you and the title company, essentially. And what it says is it will have the what's being covered and what's being excluded. And it would be wise for you to take a look at that and make sure that you have all your questions answered under that document. And I, I think, like I said, certainly we as attorneys want to help review them, but I always counsel my clients as well to understand and be familiar generally with the document and what's covered and what's not. Because even in standard title policies, there's still going to be some exceptions and exclusions that you're going to want to understand. And so I guess that's a very long answer to a short question, but you were just, there certainly is a level of standards. Right. So, so let's go there while we're on the topic. When you say there are standard exceptions and exclusions, what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So another saying that we have, there's several schedules that are attached to this commitment for title insurance. And I don't want to get too esoteric on a podcast format where everyone's Mm -hmm. not going to be looking at their title policy. So we'll kind of keep a bird's eye view. But schedule A is basically the part of the contract that's giving you coverage. And then schedule B is the part of the contract that is either excluding coverage or saying certain things need to happen before we will give you the coverage in schedule A. So kind of bird's eye view what that means is that you certainly want to look at both parts of the commitment. Schedule A, you're going to want to make sure that the coverage amounts that are listed in there are in line with how much you're going to be paying for the property. For example, you'll want to make sure that the title is currently vested in the person who you have contracted to buy the property from said in a grammatically incorrect way there, but you know what I mean? And the the other part of course is in schedule B, you're going to want to be looking for what things are going to need to happen before closing to make sure that you're going to 
step in and not have issues with the property. Mm -hmm. And part one, like you said, are the requirements that the title company is going to take care of. But part two are the exceptions to coverage. And that's where it's probably worth having a conversation about that because that really reading and understanding what's in part two of those exceptions is pretty key to, to doing due diligence as a property owner. And it's an area where I know a lot of clients just feel kind of out of their depth and not sure what to do. Let's go there. You know the stuff, Tyler. So yeah. you tell All me, right. tell me pretend I'm your client and help me understand this. Oh, absolutely. So some of the common things that we'll see in this part two and the exceptions, you're going to see things like easements, rights of claim, liens, tax, property taxes, county and state special improvement districts, covenants, conditions and restrictions or CCNRs, right? Property mm-hmm. covenants and right. restrictions on the properties, all those types of things. And these really are pretty important, especially depending on what you want to do with the property. Again, if we're going back to our example of just buying raw land, if you buy raw land and you're like, Hey, I'm going to build an awesome clinic on the property. It's going to be amazing. Everything's going to be great. And then you find out that there is some sort of a, a restrictive easement on the property that doesn't allow that type of building. Well, that's a problem. And you kind of need to know that as part of your due diligence. And And so, you know, like I said, when we're talking about due diligence, this is maybe the subject of another podcast, but you just want to make sure that what you want to do with your practice or what you want to do with the property, you're not going to be stopped from doing that by something that's already recorded against the land. And that's really kind of what you're looking for there. Yeah. So not to get off track, that's very helpful, but even a more basic question you talk about like easements and CCNRs and, and things like that. Who finds that and how do they find it? Yeah, that's a great question. So the title company employs what are called title searchers and abstractors. And what they do is they go down to the county and depending on which county it is, it really is a crazy wild west still in the title world. It's the only reason why title companies exist and blockchain or whatever hasn't taken it over as far as real estate <laughs> transactions is every county's different. And so when you're buying land, it's all a county-based thing. It's all recorded in the county recorder where the land is located. And so every county is going to be a little bit different how that can be done. But the, the county recorder is in charge of making sure everything's recorded against the property so that someone can do a search. And when they go down, they do a number of different types of searches looking for liens, which are things like judgments or taxes against the property that have to be paid before it can change hands, for example. They're looking for how much is due in taxes. They're looking for, like we say, restrictions or other deeds of trust or mortgages that have been recorded against the property that need to be paid before it changes hands. And that's really what you're doing is you're kind of creating a roadmap of this is what is I mean, the word we use in the law is encumbering the property. So this is kind of what's attached to the property. And we need to make sure that these aren't an issue for the next owner. And lots of those things, like we say, the, the CCNRs, for example, those are going to run with the land, meaning that when you take over the property, those are still going to be recorded against the property. So they're not going to go away. Whereas yeah. things like a mortgage from the seller, that's going to be paid off at closing. So you don't probably need to spend a lot of time stressing about wow, they've got all these mortgages against property. Well, you know, if they've said that they're going to pay them off and give you, you know, fee, clear title at closing, the word they use in real estate is fee, simple Mm -hmm. title, right? Right. You don't need to worry about that. So, you know, again, the abstractor goes down and searches in the county records, creates the list of items that need to be listed as exceptions, and then they're kind of divided out into things Mm -hmm. that will be cleared and things that are going to run with the land even after you Mm -hmm. buy it, if that makes sense. So a human being... Human being, yes. yes. Use most likely using a computer, but maybe not, depending on where you are. So (laughs) 
probably the county I'm from, they probably still have people there. And the county clerk is wearing overalls. Um, Probably so. Okay, stinky old books. Yeah. So when they're going through title, they're doing their research and stuff. What are the most common things that that we're going to see pop up? The most common things you're going to see, like we said, are these covenants that are already in place against the property. They're going to somehow restrict what you can do. And then current or old deeds of trust or mortgages against the property. So those would have been loans that were recorded against the property either with the current owner or sometimes you might have an old one that was from a previous owner that still is showing, wasn't reconveyed or wasn't released against the property and is still showing as being against the property. So those are things you're going to want to work with the title company to make sure are cleared. Yeah. By the way, who clears stuff like that? So let's just say that there is a, uh, an old, yeah, I mean, just something, some, some kind of skeleton on my, on my deed, uh, my deeds closet. Who, like, how does that function? Like what's, what's, what's happening there? Like, is somebody calling, making some phone calls? What, like, like, how does that get handled? Yeah, usually. So if, if it's a situation where a previous title company likely would have paid it off, the title company is going to call another title company and say, Hey, do you have a check that shows that this was paid? For example, there's different ways that they can be cleared, but ultimately Mm -hmm. it's the title company's job and responsibility. And this is what you're paying them to do is to make sure that that chain of title is clear and that those mm-hmm. aren't listed on the policy. So that if someone showed up, this is a perfect example. Someone showed up a year from now and said, Hey, you need to pay me on this mortgage. And you look at your title policy and say, it's not listed on here. They cleared it at closing. Then that would be an instance where you could file a claim mm-hmm. and the title company would have to step in. Okay. I was going to ask one of those questions where, you know, what if the title company misses something? Yeah. What, and it, like, and it what, does what, happen. What, yeah. What, it, like what does happen when that happens? So there are exclusions in some instances if something was not included in the public records that the title company might not have liability. And this is something where it can get a little bit dicey. Usually what you want to do is there are types of policies that will still cover those types of things because usually what that means is that in most states, and again, not to get too esoteric, but in most states, if you take ownership of the property and something pops up afterwards and is recorded against the prior owner, it's actually not going to attach to your interest. It's not going to attach to the land. It's again, that depends on the state, but the, the, the bottom line is if something's missed and it was included as part of the coverage in the title policy, the title company is going to have to pay it. And, And those things do happen. You know, sometimes, uh, like you said, someone would have just, the searcher was sleepy that day and forgot to write something down, or they thought they cleared a previous deed and it wasn't cleared that things like that do happen. And certainly with sloppier title companies, they happen more often than someone who's going to be more on the ball. And ultimately <laughs> they are going to have to have to pay for that. But you know, you, you don't, no one ever wants to get into a situation where they're basically just having to make a claim on insurance. You know, it, it certainly is as fine as a stop back, but it, it's one of those things you really do want to look at the, at the title commitment and, and use that as a guide to make sure everything is being cleared. Right. Well, in, in, am I correct in saying the title company has a, a very strong incentive in not missing anything? Absolutely. Yeah. Multiple levels. I mean, if you have claims against your company, multiple claims, it could obviously put you out of business. Mm-hmm. You may not, at some point, underwriters wouldn't even want to underwrite for you anymore because they just say, hey, you're just not cutting it. You've had cl- all these claims, all these issues. We can't back you anymore. So absolutely, they have a major incentive not to have claims. And it's usually a point of pride to make sure that they don't and they take care of things that come up. So, but, you know, like I said, I, usually what I would recommend with clients 
is when we do get a title policy, just to look at it, look at the exceptions that look like they should be cleared and just say, hey, items 12, 13, and 14 are going to be removed or paid at closing. Is that correct? Just to confirm. They say yes. You know, Usually that's enough to make sure like hey, everything's going to be fine. And then right. you can kind of take a look at the policy, obviously, as, as things progress. So. Okay. So, and I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. The question just occurred to me, but what's the craziest thing you've seen on one of these title policies? <laughs> or, or like in the research? In the research? That's a really good question. Man. You know, so Alec Cannon, who's another attorney at our firm, we used mm-hmm. to do oil and gas title opinions mm-hmm. previously. And and those could get really interesting. We're, we're going back to like, we're seeing like land grants from like the King of Spain and uh-huh. uh, just some really interesting things. You know, that's, those are always really interesting. It kind of reminds you that we're not that far removed from like when there was like a war over this stuff, you know what I mean? And we're talking like, we're talking revolutions in Texas to establish some of these land rights. And it actually doesn't go back that far. As far as items that have caused headaches, I'm trying to think of like weird examples or issues, things that have been recorded. I mean, one that certainly is problematic is lots of times there'll be covenants and legal restrictions against the property that could go back decades and decades. Some of those might include, in fact, we even put in the title restrictions that we would omit any covenants that would be based on, for example, color or sexual orientation or protected classes that now we recognize are not appropriate to have covenants against. But like you say, if you start reviewing some of those old covenants, you might be like, whoa, this doesn't seem right. So, but anyway, there's, like I said, with land, it's always really interesting because as you start digging into it, sometimes you find some things where you're just like, wow, this is a very different world that that we live in now. So, right. So this was not our client, but there was a dentist. This person tried to hire us. We don't do this kind of work. What I'm about to explain, but a dentist bought a piece of property as an investment and he was going to develop it into some condos, some professional condos, and was going to have some dental professionals there, including himself, right? So he was buying it for himself. And I can't remember if there's be eight units or, or something like that. Well, when he was buying it, and I don't know that anybody did anything wrong, except maybe didn't think about what they were buying it for. But when he bought it, there was a restriction that said... You know, tattoo parlors and kind of some of the the morality stuff that sometimes you see, but also included because the guy who sold it was a dentist and had a practice nearby and said, also, no dentists. And so <laughs> nobody thought to look until the bank that was financing the build out of these condos said, hey, uh, I think I found something and we need to talk about it. So he called us and we didn't do that kind of stuff, at least not at that time. So clearly these are things that need to be looked at, need to be thought about and understood. I think that probably no one thought about, at least the the team that he had at the time didn't uh, get together and think about it. So then those are the really big things that, that I think you should be looking at because again, the title company isn't going to read every word of the restriction to know if you can practice dentistry there or not. Right. Well, um, why and, would they, and, why would they care? Right. They, they right. have a, I mean, as far as the title company is concerned, they didn't know what the guy was going to do with the property. He just, they were just researching the property. So, 
right? And so usually that's part of the due diligence that, that we would be helping on. But one area that can even be problematic is that, you know, a, a client, and this has never happened, but it's always something that gives me like a little bit of anxiety is that a client would come to us and would say, Hey, I want to buy this land and I want to have a dental practice. And we'd say, great. And we'd review the CCNRs and there wouldn't be anything in there restricting a dental practice. And, you know, it looks, looks fine. I, I don't see there being any issue. And then a, a year from now, the client comes back and says, Hey, I tried to sublease some of my office to a medical, you know, just an MD and it's restricted. I didn't know that if I would have known that I never would have bought it or something, you know, again, I've never had that come up, but it always makes me kind of nervous. And and in that instance, I'd be like, well, man, I mean, you kind of should have known that. And if if you, you should have gone in understanding that as a property owner that, okay, I'm going to own this property and this is what I can and can't do. If I want to do this other thing, it's restricted. And so this is what, like you were saying, if I'm going to change that restriction, that's something that can be done, but I'm going to do this and this. And I I just think it's one of those things where you should certainly have to take on some responsibility. If you're going to be a landlord, if you're going to be an owner and make sure that your plans are in line with what's feasible. Well, and as, as you know, we've had deals that had to be shut down. People, interested in property where there were restrictions. You start digging in and you realize that there's going to be one restriction or two that is abhorrent to the potential purchaser. And they're like, Hey, I, no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be restricted in that manner. And so I'll go find a different piece of property. And so the lawyers have to ask the question too, right? Like, what are you going to do with this? And the, the lawyer can't know unless the, the client tells them. And, you know, sometimes the clients don't know, I can't predict the future and they don't know what's going to happen, but there definitely has to be a conversation about what's going to happen in the future so that some of this due diligence diligence in the title review is more meaningful. Exactly. That's exactly the point. And it isn't anything that's caused issues, but you always want to, as an attorney, you're trying to think of every possible combination that could come up where you're like, Hey, well, what about this? What about this? How could this affect my client? All right. So Tyler, we're probably boring the listener. If they've made it this far, we may have caused somebody to doze off at the wheel, but hopefully they have a Tesla and they're just roaring down the freeway just fine. Right. Hey, so before we go though, like what else do we need to know? Like what, what have I not asked you that, that I should have asked that people need to know about title policies? You know, I think the the biggest thing is don't be, don't be afraid to ask questions. It, it, seriously, if you needed to just go through and if you got a commitment for title insurance, just circle the words you don't understand, mark the things you have questions about what they mean. I think it's always a good idea to go to your real estate agent, go to your attorney and ask those questions because it's better to understand and know as much, I mean, always the thing that gets people in trouble, well, not always, but often what gets people in trouble is not knowing what they don't know. Right. And that's what right. we all worry about is those blind spots. And so definitely don't be afraid to ask questions. Definitely don't be afraid to dig in and, and try and understand as much as possible. And if it's something you don't get, just lean on your professionals that you're working with to, to guide you through, but feel free to ask questions. All right. Um, well, Tyler, I certainly appreciate your time. We all Appreciate your time and your expertise. Definitely could not have had this conversation without you. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope it was helpful for someone and hopefully it didn't kill anybody. <laughs> yeah, thank you, uh, Tyler. And thank you all listeners uh, for listening today. We'll see you next time.